So glad to see all of you this morning. We even have a few first-time guests, and we're so thankful that you have chosen to uh, worship with us at Santa Cruz Baptist. Um, boy, that was a long covenant, wasn't it? <clears throat> Could you imagine if Drew had been the one? Could you see it, Drew and Shannon's wedding, him pulling off his marriage vows and it being like the list of this big, huge scroll? That would have been... I was just thinking about that. I don't know why I was thinking about that. Do any of you remember your marriage vows? This is going to be interactive for just a second. What, what were some of them? Hopefully a few of you guys will remember and you will go. What was one of your marriage vows? I do. I do. <laughs> That's a wise man right there. What else? To love and to cherish. To always kiss her good night. To have and to hold. For better or for worse. In sickness and in health. Till death do us part. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Out of the words of my quiet. How did we come up with that? I don't know. In recent weeks, we've heard sermons that has gone back to and referred to the church as the bride of Christ. Last week, we were in John chapter 3, verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Then in, about a month ago, we were in Ephesians 5, and Ephesians 5.32 says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The mystery of Christ and the church talking about a husband and wife and becoming one. This mystery is profound. Everybody loves a good mystery. An Agatha Christie classic like Murder on the Orient Express or And Then There Were None. Anybody like those mysteries? Mysteries are great until you don't understand them. And then you don't want to read any more mysteries. Jesus taught in parables so that, as you read in Mark chapter 4, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, they, excuse me, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's kind of a mysterious passage. That could even be a hurtful passage if you don't understand it. Jesus was quoting this scripture from Isaiah chapter 6. You know, this morning's passage, as you're turning to John chapter 14, so go ahead and turn to John chapter 14. This morning's passage can be a mystery to those who don't understand it. And so may we hear 
And may the Lord open our ears to understand what he is saying in John chapter 14. Let's start in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Hey, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? How sad. Jesus devoted three years of his life to these guys. And at the end of three years, they still don't understand the mystery. And we can read that passage and not even understand the mystery. Is that passage talking about salvation? Is that passage talking about funerals? Which I have used that very passage in funerals for a number of times through the years. In fact, it's probably my favorite passage to do a funeral with. Is it talking about knowing God? Is it talking about marriage? Is it talking about mansions and the prosperity gospel? How do we unlock the mystery of passages? How can we unlock this profound mystery that we are the bride of Christ? You know, this is wedding season. We've turned the corner from graduation season, and now we are full-fledged into wedding season. Do you know how you can see that? If you're on social media, you have all of these anniversaries. And we were married there, and we were married there, and how exciting. Ross and Kendall are getting married in two weeks. Man, what a big day. Are you puckered, Ross? You should be. Ron and Nadine Burke. Just experience the joy of her daughter getting engaged this past weekend. What a celebration. How fun. Kelly and I just celebrated our 27th anniversary on the 27th of May. Our golden anniversary. It was so great. DJ Jazzy Jeff. That guy is so busy right now. Every weekend, he is DJing at some wedding reception. And oh, how we would wish he could just come up here and tell some stories. Wouldn't y'all? I bet you see some crazy, crazy weddings around here. We get the storyline of weddings, of brides, and all that from our American culture. In fact, you could even quote your vows. 
Boy meets girl. Boy falls in love with girl. Boy goes to the girl's dad and asks for her hand in marriage. You, you did do that, didn't you, Ross? At a boy. Boy goes and buys the ring and he pops the question. What's the question he asks? Will you marry me? Will you marry me? Will you marry me? And she says, She doesn't say maybe. <laughs> she starts crying. And it's this beautiful, romantic yes. And now begins the most stressful year of a girl's life. She's preparing for the wedding. What flowers? The dress, the venue, the caterer. Who do we include in the wedding party? The cake, the hair, the music that we're going to go down the aisle. The first dance. Man. It's quite a year, isn't it? Pretty stressful, isn't it, Renee? According to Wedding Wire, the average cost of a wedding in the state of California in the year 2022 is $39,000. A little more than you two spent, Ed and Annie. <laughs> Statistically, that marriage is going to last 8.2 years before a divorce. That's statistically speaking. There's good news. Among all born-again Christians, which includes evangelicals, the divorce rate is only 32% now. It used to be up in the 50s. The sad news is that's statistically identical to the 33% divorce rate among non-born-again adults this research group noted. Where are we missing it as a church? Where are we missing being different from the world? How are we ever hearing but never understanding? We need to unlock this mystery but how do you do it? It comes from having a true understanding of the Word of God. The Word of God is not a mystery to the bride. It's a mystery to those who are perishing. It's a mystery to the prideful. It's not a mystery to the humble. It's a mystery to those who think they're better than the Word. But it is a beautiful love story to those with a humble and contrite heart who are seeking to know truly what the Word of God says. And so this morning, we are going to try to unlock the mystery behind what it means to be the bride of Christ. We're going to look at that through five points. So point number one, if you're taking notes. The choosing. The choosing. We date or we court for periods of time before deciding, oh, this is the one I want to marry. That's our tradition in 21st century America. But not in ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, the father of the bridegroom did the choosing. 
Catch that. The father of the bridegroom did the choosing. Genesis 24 is a great love story of Abraham sending his faithful servant, Eleazar, 450 miles to find him a wife suitable for his son Isaac. Because in the land of the Canaanites, there was not a wife suitable for him. He did not want to be unequally yoked. And so he sent his son, for, excuse me, he sent his servant 450 miles. As it reads in Genesis 24, verses 37 through 40. My master made me swear, saying, this is Eleazar speaking, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, catch this, this is really good. The Lord before whom I have walked, he will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son, from my clan, and from my father's house. And it worked. John 15 verse 16 elevates this idea of marriage custom to a spiritually deep level when it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Did you know that the Father chooses the bride for the bridegroom? And our bridegroom initiates that love toward us. In 1 John four nineteen, it says, We love because he first loved us. So he has chosen us, because he loves us. This is mysterious, it is gracious, and it is amazing. Sadly, it is a concept we in 21st century America do not comprehend. Praise the Lord for his design that he chose one man for one woman to be for all of their life till death do us part. It's a beautiful design. How are we doing as a society with that design? The choosing. A second way to unlock this mystery is the price. The price. In 2022, we save up our money until we can buy that engagement ring, but not so in ancient Israel. The economic makeup of that society was so different than the economic makeup of our society. They were a true farming, working community in ancient Israel. The price for a bride was paid up front by the father of the bridegroom to the father of the bride, both to compensate the bride's family for the loss of a worker in the household, as well as to show how much the bridegroom loved, was committed to, and valued the bride. Again, to compensate, to show love, and to show commitment, and to show value to the bride. 
this was a practice by the Jewish ancient Israelite community. In the case of Jacob and Russell and Rachel, the bridal price was service to Rachel's father, Laban. Y'all remember that story? It's a beautiful love story in Genesis 29. But I just read this verse. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Tally up seven years of work. And then Laban got him and got him for 14 years. That would be one huge engagement ring. Since a wife was purchased, she belonged to her husband. Although this may seem cruel and unjust and really does not preach well in today's society, this way of thinking was massive steps above what was happening in the pagan world at that time. There was no value placed on women in the pagan world at that time. If a man wanted a wife, he simply took her to his house, he had relations with her, and she had to become his wife. That was the practice in ancient times. And so God introduced sanctity and permanence in the marriage relationship. And this Hebrew word, mohar, which is the bridal price, was part of raising a standard of righteousness that God introduced into his people. It was culturally ground-shaking. Value to a woman? So much love that you would purchase a woman with the price of bringing value, compensation, love, devotion? Women now had value. Now women were cherished. This concept of being purchased and belonging to another, it has powerful, powerful spiritual implications. We, as the bride of Messiah, have been purchased. Do you comprehend that? We, the bride of Messiah, have been purchased. What was the mohar? What was the bridal price, it was the blood of Jesus Christ himself. Let that sink in. Do we in our 21st century American culture comprehend the price for salvation? Acts 20.28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. As if we didn't catch this mystery enough, Matthew 26 verse 39 says, 
And going a little further, Jesus fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Hey, Father, are you sure? Are you sure it's this expensive that I have to let them beat me and crush me? I have to let them whip me, humiliate me, put me on the cross? Yet not my will, Father. Your will be done. And you know what the father said? Sorry, son, but that's the price. 1 Peter 1.18 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Did y'all catch that? Like a lamb without blemish or spot was the price paid for us to be the bride of Christ. What a price to pay that the Lamb of God would lay down his life for his bride. Could Jesus' final words, even on the cross, have bridal undertones when he said, y'all know what he said? It is finished. It is finished. Bridal undertones. It is finished. It is paid in full. The price. Number three. We have the choosing. We have the price. Now we have the betrothal. I was very impressed as Judy read and she said it correctly. That was cool. Betrothal. It's a mysterious word. It's definitely not in our 21st century vocabulary. So how could we even understand betrothal? To break it down, betrothal means engagement. We get engaged, and now comes that most stressful year of planning, preparing, dieting, tanning. You know, getting ready for that day. Right, girls? We're getting ready for that day. You guys can't comprehend this because you can't make yourself look pretty even on your wedding day. But the girls, the girls can get themselves ready for that day. Y'all remember that day? You long for that day. That day. But not in ancient Israel. In ancient Israel... The betrothal was the first part of the covenant. The Hebrew words describing betrothal, eruzin and kedushin, literally mean the words sanctification, holiness. The idea of being set apart are the very words of betrothal. Let me say that again. Sanctification set apart, holy, matrimony. 
Those are the very words when you enter into the covenant of engagement, of betrothal. That's the first start of the marriage. That's where we get the wording, holy matrimony. The bride was holy. She was set apart for the bridegroom. That's different from the pagan world. This is a holy relational pursuit of love. Betrothal involves covenanting together. Covenanting in biblical times was serious. It had life and death implications. It was final. It was sealed in blood, legally binding. Covenants could not be broken. Once a couple entered into a covenant, into that covenant of betrothal, they were legally married in every aspect of the law except for one thing, and that was the physical consummation of their marriage. In this morning's scripture, Judy reads from Hosea 2.19. It says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Not in this superficial head knowledge, know the Lord kind of way. Has he chosen you? Has he paid the price for you? Has he drawn you to himself and said, marry me? And did you fall down and say, I do. Yes, Lord, I'm in. I will betroth you. If you've never done that, I encourage you to consider this morning. Why did God draw you to this church to hear this sermon, to unlock a mystery that has eternal implications? Betrothal is mentioned in another passage as we read every Christmas. Matthew 1, 18 and 19 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Y'all remember this story, right? When the mother of Jesus had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You know what I love about this passage? Parents and grandparents skip this part all the time when their kids ask them questions about this at Christmas. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Can you explain betrothal? Could you explain that other? I know I skipped it. Betrothal. Committed. The fourth thing to understand, the cup. The cup. Again, what do we do? We make a toast, right? Don't they make toasts? You have a particular song that you play for that? No. You got to work on that. The cup. It's a cup of wine that was shared to seal the marriage covenant. The Hebrew word for bridegroom literally means the one who enters a covenant. Jesus Christ, the one who enters a covenant. 
A cup of wine. Are y'all catching it? Wine has been blessed for over 2,000 years in the exact same manner any time a Jewish family does a cup of wine. Do y'all know what they say? Probably not hardly any of us in this room. Blessed art thou. Does anybody know it? Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. They say this every time they are making a covenant. They are drinking the cup of wine. But why do we not know it? Because we're Southern Baptists <laughs> in the 21st century. The blessing of the cup of wine was called Birkat Eruzin. At that moment in the betrothal, the bride and the groom share a cup. He says, will you marry me? She says, yes. They take one cup of wine and they drink it, right, Jefty? Is that how they do it? They drink that, y'all know how they lock arms? Everybody with me? We're still doing it today. They lock the arms, they drink one cup of wine together, symbolizing a shared life that would be theirs. This was the first cup. Then, on the day of the wedding, they drink a second cup. The second cup, the wine in Judaism has always symboled joy, symbolized joy. Marriage in Jewish thought is the highest source of joy on earth. Exactly how our marriage, honey. <laughs> wine is also symbolized blood. The marriage covenant is a blood covenant in the eyes of God. Two lives becoming one in a lifelong commitment. The cup that Jesus took at his last Passover Seder on earth was the cup of the new marriage covenant with his bride. We read that in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So weekly, when we partake of the cup, which we're about to do here in a minute, at the Lord's Supper, we remember our heavenly bridegroom, the bridal price that is paid for us, our covenantal relationship with Jesus. Just as the two cups of wine were used as part of an ancient Jewish wedding, the one at the betrothal and the one at the feast, we, the bride of Christ, will one day drink the second cup with our bridegroom in person as the second part of the marriage covenant. Is everybody understanding? Have we drank that second cup with him yet? No. A couple of days ago, one of our dear friends just passed away. He was 40-something years old. He had brain cancer, and he fought it for, what, 12 years? You know what Colby got to do last week? He drank the second cup. He drank the second cup. Man, 
How precious. In Matthew 26, verse 29, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this cup of the wine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Matthew 26, 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Are y'all catching the marriage language at the Last Supper? Are you catching the marriage language in the Garden of Gethsemane? Are you catching the marriage language on the cross? How can we hear and not understand? How can so many not understand this mystery? As we close today, we hit the final one. It's called the departing. Departing. I take us back to John chapter 14. That great funeral passage, right? It has massive marriage implications. But we didn't even read it like that. You know why? Because we didn't grow up in ancient Jewish practice. But now that we understand it, we can grasp it. So back to John chapter 14, I read in verse 1. Let, your not, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Quite the passage. We have no clue what it means. But boy, did they. You know why? Because they could recite the wedding stuff. So can I just take you through it for a second? The choosing. The father of the bridegroom goes and chooses the bride. The price. The father pray, pays the price in full to the bride's family and says, I own you. You're mine. I love you. It has come with a precious cost. The entering of the covenant through betrothal. Will you marry me? Yes. I will leave my family and I will come to you and we can be entering into this marriage covenant. Number four, drink the cup. This symbolization of joy, of blood, let's drink together to enter this cup. Fifth, the departing. Check this out. The son looks to the bride and says these very famous words. I'm going to my father's house and I'm preparing a place for you. And I'm going to come back for you. Once my father says that my house is sufficient for the bride, I'm coming back for you. 
So in the meantime, it may take me about a year because I'm not that great of a carpenter. That was a joke. Jesus was a pretty good carpenter. Every one of them in ancient Jewish times knew what he was saying. They knew it. Every bridegroom says, drink the cup. I'm coming back for you. I promise you I'm coming back for you. It's going to take me a while, but I have to build this bridal chamber at my father's house. And once I have it completely built, and once my father says, it's finished, I'm coming back for you. And you know how we're going to come back for you? That's next week's sermon. So I'm not telling you this week. That's next week. But because I've chosen you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, it is going to be a party. Jesus Christ, with his entourage, is coming for his bride. And then we are going to feast. I hope now you understand the mystery a little bit better. Until then, how do we apply this morning's truth? First, we're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. If we've repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, we have entered into this covenantial relationship. Gratitude ought to be daily on our hearts. I'm the bride of Christ. Chosen. Paid for. Number two application. There is eternal hope that our bridegroom is coming back for us. As we sit here in today's world and we see death and we see hatred and we see making a mockery of men and women, making a mockery of marriage, making a mockery, there is hope for us, bride of Christ. He's returning for us, and we are in the waiting. And it takes serious faith to wait patiently. But we can be a good bride. Does any of your faith ever waver periodically? Mine does. But you know what? Our bridegroom's coming back for us. The final application... Make yourself ready. Seriously think about this betrothal period. Are you dieting, tanning, getting ready for that day? Or are you doing whatever the heck you want to do? Are you just living life like you are footloose and fancy free? Or are you living life like you were bought with a price? Sadly, the Christian bride in the 21st century looks no different statistically than the pagan bride. That's the sad truth. We're the bride of Christ. Santa Cruz Baptist Church, we're the bride of Christ. Can we look different than the other brides? We can. 
We don't have to be selfish. We don't have to be all about me. We don't have to be childish. We don't have to make a mockery of this beautiful design that God has made for all the world to see. And so you know what we need to do? We need to don our veil in public. Do you know what the veil says? I'm taken. I'm taken. My bridegroom is Jesus Christ. He's coming back for me. All you crazy people, don't be hitting on me. I'm taken. But it may not be cool to wear the veil. I would highly encourage us, put on the veil. Let's proclaim to this world that we are off the market. We've been purchased and we are excited. Our wedding day is coming and we will drink the cup with our bridegroom soon. And oh, what a day that will be. Will you pray with me?